Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. I tell you, looking around, it's like, where is everyone? I think some people have spread out, which is actually a good thing. I'm glad people have spread out. I want people to use all the pews. But I know there have been a bunch of people sick. It's just been going around. It's part of that season that we're in. And as I thought about that, and as I thought about my week, a word came to mind. A word came to mind. Let's see if I can get it on the screen. You guys know this word? Mercy. Mercy. You know, this is an interesting word. You know, my kids say it's one of those words from the 1900s, right? It's a word that you don't hear that much anymore. We don't talk about that much. When I think of mercy, a couple things come to mind. A, I think of the school. I used to drive by it every day when I went to high school. There's an all-girls school named Mercy on Northern Parkway or, or uh, back down about that way. And so I passed it every day. And so I thought of that, okay, it's a girls' school. That's what mercy is. I also thought about the game, you know, literally the game from 1900s. This is when me and Brian get together and we take our hands and, and we, we just literally try to break each other's fingers until someone says, mercy. I also think of a show for the 1900s, Full House. You guys remember this show? Have mercy, he would say pretty much every show. You know, that's what I think of and I think to myself, do I use this word in everyday life? Is this a word that I'm familiar with and I, that I even understand what it means? Well, I tell you, it, it came to pass this week. This week, I was traveling again for work, and I had to go back to the home office. This is not something I do very often. I spend most of my time at clients, which, by the way, now they don't want us to do it all, so I don't know how I'm going to work. But nevertheless, um, this particular meeting was in our home office, and one of my uh, senior partners invited me to come there because I'm up for a new role and they wanted me to get to know all the new people. I thought it was going to be a handful of people. He says, no, it's over 50 new people that you have to meet. I'm like, oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that. So, you know, I thought to myself, uh, you know, I need to get there early. I need to dress appropriately. I need to be on time. So I came in the night before. I came in the night before. I hung out with a friend. He wanted to take me out to dinner. We went out to dinner and he wanted to walk. So we walk and walk and walk. I don't have shoes. I don't have a jacket. I'm cold. I get to dinner. The dinner was nice. He wants to walk back home. So not only is it really late, we're back to the hotel. Now is it really late? I'm tired. And I'm like, at some point, I'm like, have mercy. I need to get into a cab. I cannot walk anymore. He's like, really? Yeah. So I get in the cab. I go back to the hotel. I go to sleep. I was very tired because of the long walk and the long night. And so I woke up the next morning extra early and uh, I decided to wear a white shirt. You know, when you wear a white shirt, you got to be very careful. It has to be ironed appropriately. There can't be any stains on it. You know, you really stick out. And so I had this white shirt, so I got myself ready, and then I put my white shirt, and I got my hair, you know, perfect, took my shower. I'm, I'm looking good, and I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, I'm running out of time. I'm spending so much time in the mirror here. I'm running out of time. So normally I spend some time in my hotel room praying. Now, this isn't no super spiritual prayer, but it, it's a legitimate prayer. This particular morning, I'm like, Lord, love you. Got to go. So... I went out, and I'm meeting some colleagues down. I, I drove my Jeep, and so I need to put my bag in my Jeep so I could go to the meeting with you know, new preoccupation, you know, nothing in my hands and not worry about losing anything. I can go and focus on, on all these people. Got my new suit on, got my white shirt. I'm air early. I'm ready to go. I get to my Jeep, and I put my bag on the ground, and I open the Jeep tailgate. 
so I could put it in the back. And as I opened it, I must have dropped the hotel key that was in my hand. So I reached down to pick up the hotel key. I pick up the hotel key, and then I sit up. And as I sit up, the tailgate decided it wasn't going to stay open, and it swung back. And at the moment it swung back was the moment that I lifted my head. I hit the corner of the tailgate on the Jeep on the top of my noggin. I said to myself, that's not a good idea. Oh, oh my gosh. Within seconds, blood was everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere. It's all over my head. It's all over my hands. And I'm thinking, I got a white shirt on, Lord. I run into the Jeep and I start taking napkins and I'm putting it on my head. And, and this is bad. I'm like, oh, I'm going to need a stitch or stitches. And I got people waiting for me. They can't see me like this. They look like I've been through murder. And I got blood in my hands in the middle of all this disease stuff going around. Somebody's going to ship me off. This is bad. I'm in the parking lot with all these people. So I run into the hotel. I run up the stairs. I get into my hotel room. I'm dealing with this and it's just everywhere. And um, I'm worried. I'm worried about my meeting. I'm worried about my head. I'm worried about everything. And so I'm applying pressure. I'm doing everything I know how to do. I'm praying. And as I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I got to imagine the Lord just laughing at me. Oh, so you didn't have time this morning, right? You didn't have time this morning to talk to me. You're talking to me now, aren't you, Sean? As I'm staring at myself in the mirror again with blood everywhere. Imagine this, none on the shirt yet, right? So I'm like, okay, got to get the shirt off, wash my hands, take my shirt off. And now I have to put my head into the shower, basically get into the shower and just let this blood get it off me so I can clean it and do all that. And as I'm doing it, it's still bleeding. And I look at myself in the mirror and I say, have mercy, Lord. Something's got to stop. I'd like to tell you the blood just stopped and everything was wonderful. It didn't. It subsided after some time and uh, I ended up getting dressed Ended up making it to my meeting and still pretty much on time. And the whole day I was worried about blood you know, pouring down my head or something. It didn't. So I'm fine now. I didn't receive stitches. And I didn't get any blood on the shirt. Lesson learned. Pray in the morning. Don't not do it for something else. Other lesson learned. I, I said to myself the rest of the day, do I even know what this word mercy means? Am, am I even praying for the right thing? I think it kind of means like I've had enough. Like, right? Like enough is enough. Or take it easy, Lord. Seriously. And so I began to think about this sermon. You guys wonder how my sermons are created? You think I'm like in some room and the Lord just divinely deposits a message? No, it's my life. It's I just live life. And then in the process, the Lord's like, guess what you're going to preach about this week? So I began to investigate mercy in the Bible. And I came up with this verse here that I want to share with you. It's Hebrews, it's chapter 4, verse 16. The Word of God says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain and find grace to help us in the time of need. So there's this concept of grace and mercy, and these two words are often interchangeable. And frankly, in Christian circles, we use grace way more than mercy. Are they the same thing? Are they different? Lord, help me understand. But what I do realize from this verse, without understanding anything else, is that there's a throne I can come to. And I can come to that throne boldly. In fact, I'm supposed to do it because he calls me to do it. And when I do that, I'm going to obtain something. I'm going to obtain something he calls mercy. And you know what else? I'm going to discover something. I'm going to discover something he finds grace. I'm here to tell you, church. 
church, that right now you have no past, no history, no amount of sin that prevents you from coming to his throne boldly and from attaining his mercy and his grace in Jesus' name. No amount of religious works, no amount of theology can stop you from coming to his throne. You do not need to be a priest or a pastor to stand before God today. And he doesn't ask you to do it in a whimpered or lowly state. He says, come to him boldly. There is infinite mercy and grace in the Bible over and over and over again. Do not let your past hold you back, church. And it is freely available. So that's what I wanted to say about that. And then so I started now thinking about grace and mercy. And was like, Lord, I'm not sure I understand the difference. So you go to Google and you can begin to look at it. And, and I've looked at the theological differences and the uh, judicial differences. Basically, I can boil it down to these two concepts. Mercy is about not getting something. It's about not getting the punishment that you deserve when you don't do what you're supposed to do. E.g., you break a law, you deserve to go to jail, you don't go to jail, that's mercy. Mercy is about not getting something. And grace, grace, grace is a whole nother thing. Grace is an extension of mercy. Grace is not only do you not get something, it's about actually getting something. Getting a gift, in fact, a gift that you don't deserve, a gift that's the exact opposite of, in fact, what you deserve. Grace is something even more extended than mercy. I think about a judge one day. I am, um, in my youth, hypothetical story. There was a child in his youth that liked to drive cars fast, and he got tickets. And in this hypothetical story, every time he got a ticket, he'd have to go to court and come up with some story that the judge would feel compassion for him so that he wouldn't get points. And at some point, he ran out of stories that would work with the judge, right? And they were all true stories, but they were empathetic stories. So this particular time, the hypothetical person went to court and said to the judge, I'm wrong, judge. I'm speeding. Have mercy on me. In that context, this person was expecting not to get any points simply because he was there in court and he was asking for the sympathy of the court. He did get mercy and there are no points on this hypothetical record and this person is no longer speeding. Amen? Amen. So as I think about that and I think about what would grace and mercy be like, it would be like you or me going to court, we have broken a law, speeding is a law, and if you break it, you're doing something illegal, by the way. So all of those who say they don't like illegal activity, you probably are functioning as an illegal citizen probably daily. Nevertheless, and following street signs too, okay, nevertheless, if you go to court and you're found illegal and you're supposed to get punished and you don't, that's mercy. What grace would be, would be like the judge saying, you know what, Mr. Simon? No points today. In fact, we like you so much. New car for you. Go outside, it's a new car, yay! That's grace, right? I don't think we appreciate grace as much, but this message here is about mercy. And so I, I look at this verse and I say to myself, why do we juxtapose these two things? Why is this so much? This is in Hebrews and obviously these words are in Hebrew. And so I started thinking back, you know, about the Old Testament and thinking about something and it came to mind very quickly. There is something called a mercy seat. That's in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's not referred to as the mercy seat. What is it referred to? A throne of grace. There's something that transforms mercy into grace. Something that transforms 
breaking the law and, and, and not receiving punishment, that compassion that transforms that into something that you get, something that is a gift, something that is unmerited grace. Are you following me, church? So this morning, I say, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Is grace something you need to ask for? Since grace is freely given, grace is not something you need to ask for. Grace, God is a gracious God and he will give you his grace. Mercy, on the other hand, if you look back, David and Daniel and through the New Testament, they kept asking for mercy. Why would they ask for mercy? Because they understood that they broke laws. And when you break laws, there is a punishment. And in a bare minimum, they didn't want the punishment. Grace would be over and above, but if we could just have mercy and I didn't have to sacrifice the punishment. And even back then, they realized they could not follow all of the laws. Even when Jesus was walking, they said they could not follow the laws. And so they often asked for mercy. This wasn't, I've had enough, Lord, like I was feeling, like we feel as Americans. Take it easy on me, Lord. I want to have a good day, an easy day. Have mercy on me. No, this is the admission that you are wrong that you have sinned, that you deserve to go to hell, and yet you ask God not to send you there. Amen. So the question is, does God have mercy? It's a trick question. I want you to think about it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 9. This is where we are going to hear about the prayer for today. We're on a prayer series. We've heard of all sorts of prayers in the Bible. We've talked about uh, powerful prayers like remember me prayer and the sign prayer and the commanding prayer and the increase your faith prayer. What prayer did we do last week? Anybody remember? What's that? The success prayer. That's right. See, is my sermon successful if you remember it? I don't know. This week, we're going to talk about a different type of prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 9, and I want to tee it up. Matthew chapter 9. So what happens in Matthew chapter 9? Well, Pastor Pat was preaching about it. I was preaching about it. It's a bunch of cool stories in chapter 9. See, Jesus wanted to preach. He got into a boat. There was a storm, walked on water, calmed the storm. Remember all that? Got off the boat, met this legion with all these demons that are possessed in him, and then he cast the demons out into the pig. You remember all that? Then Jesus walks through the town. All these people are there, and some guy comes to him and says, can you help me with my daughter? And he goes, sure, I'll help you with that. Walks through the town, finds the woman with the issue of blood. Remember that? Heals her. Then the guy says, my daughter's dead. He says, oh, let's go deal with that. He goes over and he resurrects the daughter. Remember that? And then, then what happens next? Well, then you have this story. And this story is so simple. In fact, I decided to put it on the screen, the whole story, and nothing but the story. Amen? Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, it says, after Jesus left the girl's home, what girl? This is the girl that just died and Jesus resurrected. Miracle. He left the home. Two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Two blind men followed him. That's difficult enough, imagine. Put your mind in this, I'm blind, I can't see, and I got to try to follow somebody who's moving away from me. Son of David, have mercy on us. This is the prayer for today. Have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, Jesus. Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray right now you open our eyes and you give us the time to consume this message you have given me. And Father God, may it produce good fruit in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. amen. Darkness. 
darkness. These people lived in darkness. Presumably their entire life they walked around and didn't see a thing. And you know what else? They didn't have a job. You know what else? They were outcasts. You know what else? They were probably beggars. You know what else? They were probably reprobate. They were as bad as the person with the leper in the society's eyes. They were no good to anyone. In this case, they hung out together probably. They couldn't see. Not with their natural eyes, but they saw something else, did they not? They saw this miracle happening all around them. In fact, they were at the house when Jesus resurrected the child. Were they one of the ones that were wailing on the outside? Were they an observer? Were they sitting on the curb right there? I don't know. Were they peeking in the window? I don't know. But what we do know is the moment Jesus left that house, these two shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on us. What was it they're asking for? You see, back then... They believed that you were blind because of your sin. It was something you did in your life that was sinful. It was, in fact, what they would call a punishment. They felt like they were punished. They felt like they had asked for forgiveness probably a million times and that they could see again and that God would remove this. But I imagine these were men, so they were probably my age, and they've gone through their life thinking about all the things they've ever done wrong, and why are they blind, and why do they have to suffer this way, and why does God make them suffer, and is there any way they could not have to suffer so much, and will they have to suffer in this life and the next, and I can imagine the story about Jesus coming and forgiving people of sins and, and walking around as though he was God. Something had drummed up inside of him. This is why they called him Son of David. They didn't call him Jesus. They said, this must be the God, the God of the line of Judah, the God who came from David, the God who was born to man. This may be him, son of David. Have mercy on us. What were they asking for? It's unclear. Were they asking for forgiveness of their sins or were they asking to be seen? Well, Jesus says, do you believe I can make you see? In that moment, Jesus makes it clear. He doesn't ask them about their sin. He doesn't ask them about their parents. He doesn't ask them about their theology. He doesn't ask them about whether they want to go to church. He doesn't ask them about what worship songs they like or their prayer life. He didn't ask them about repentance. He asked them if you want to see. And do you believe I can do it? What did they say? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This story has a few points I want to point out. I want to go through really quickly. This is a picture there's a couple things here about mercy and about what these guys did. They shouted, son of David, have mercy on us. See, there's a difference in my view between speaking out and speaking up. Speaking out is when we use the forums that we have to speak out about whatever's going on in our life or others, to speak out about an injustice, to speak out about what's happening to us or happening in our community. How do we speak out? We speak out to our families and complain. We speak out to Facebook and share our point of view. We speak out with whatever forum we can speak out to. And why do we speak out? Because often when tragedy hits your life, when you feel like you're being punished for something, when you feel like something is out of your control, you generally speak out because of one of three reasons. One, you feel like you're a victim and you want some empathy because all of a sudden you're victimized. And so by asking and speaking out, you're saying to somebody else like, hey, you know, be easy on me. I'm a victim, which by the way, if you conduct life that way is really insensitive to the true victims of this world. Amen. Amen. Number two, it's because you maybe you want to place blame and you want to say, hey, it's not my fault. This is happening to me. It's somebody else's fault. So I'm going to speak out about it. Or one of my favorites, uh, praising yourself. 
Well, you know what? I'll get through this because I'm strong enough. I'll figure it out. I'm great. Watch my story. Let me speak out about it. I'm not talking bad about any one of these things, and they may work for you. That doesn't work for me. I'd much rather hear you speak up than speak out. And I really mean by that direction. Look up and say, son of David, have mercy on me. When you say have mercy and you speak up to the one true living God, immediately you're saying, Lord, I'm not a victim. Have mercy on me. I have done wrong. No doubt about it. And you know what, Lord, I'm not blaming anyone else because you know what, at some point I have done wrong. So Lord God, I deserve everything that I have. But you know what I need right now? Your mercy in Jesus' name. I encourage you to learn how to speak up as these people here in the, in the street started speaking up and everyone heard what they had to say in Jesus' name. It eliminates your natural tendencies to think about yourself and allows you to put your focus on him. Amen? The next thing I want to point out is obstacles, you know, persistence. In our life, we have things like tailgates in a Jeep, and we have things like sickness. We have all sorts of things that are in our way from what we want to do. What was in this guy's way? Presumably, these guys were blind for a long time. Imagine how persistent they must have been to come to this place. They could have given up. They could have taken their lives. They could have been hiding out somewhere, but they didn't. They were persistent because they knew that God was good, and they just needed to see a time when they could be in his presence, and this was the time. That was persistent enough. When they shout out, son of David, have mercy on me, even in that moment, Jesus didn't respond. Jesus, in fact, ignored them. He kept walking. You know what these blind men said? Well, if you're going to walk away, I'm going to follow you. How did they do this? I have no idea. I'm sure they asked somebody or they tried to listen. I don't know, but two blind men were walking. They came to a building. The door was shut. They opened it and they walked into the building. If that's not persistence, I don't know what is. Listen to me. Jesus was at a house and he just healed a woman who was dead and she was resurrected. Why couldn't Jesus then heal these blind men right there? Why? Why did Jesus walk away? Why did these guys have to follow him? I don't know, but I think it has something to do with persistence. I think it has something to do with where we are and how we get there. Which brings me to my next point. The roads we're on, many of us, we don't know what our next step is. And sometimes when we take that step, we're worried about what it may lead to. We're on a journey. We're all on a journey. God can meet us anywhere on that journey, in public, in a church, in our homes. But sometimes, sometimes he puts us on these journeys to require us to move. He requires movement, and he wants to see a change in location. So this is sort of equivalent to, like, Jesus doing some healing in public, and then Jesus going to his house, which we call church today. So maybe you see healings taking place on TV or in the world, and you're like, why isn't God healing me in my house? Maybe he wants you to come to church. In this case, that's exactly what he wanted the blind men to do. And they came into that church, and then Jesus said to them, do you want to see? Yes, Lord. Think about that. There's something about mercy that allows the gift to happen over time. Not punishment to the blind. You see, they were going there hoping to be relieved of this punishment, but instead God gave them a gift. They asked for mercy, but God gave them grace. God gave them something beyond what they could ever imagine. They instantly were able to see. Faith to see God. You know, you say to me, well, maybe it was a punishment that they were blind all along. Maybe. Maybe you could say that. People say that. I don't buy into that. Why don't I buy into that? I'll tell you why. Because all the other people who could see in this story, and there were many of them, they didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, they interrogated Jesus, they insulted Jesus, and they broke Jesus down. 
Ultimately, the same people led to Jesus' death on the cross. People who had plenty of sight couldn't see Jesus for who he was. But these two blind men, with no sight at all, no natural sight, they knew exactly who the son of David was. Why are they so different than all these smart, educated people? Probably has something to do with the experiences that they lived in their life. You call that a punishment? I ask God every day to put into my children's life whatever he needs to do to direct them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to judge whatever method he chooses to use. Amen? Amen. So, in this case, they were able to see what the people who had sight were not able to see. And all in that, all in that, because of this, just a few simple words. This was no fancy prayer, church. This was no long prayer, no educated prayer, no prepared prayer. In fact, in my mind, I was thinking if I was blind for a long time and Jesus uh, was walking through and he could heal me and I had trouble getting to him and if I got to him, I would be thinking, what do I say to him? Well, the first thing I think is how to get his attention. They figured that part out, have mercy on us. The next thing is, here's the story I'm going to give you. Jesus, when I was a kid. Jesus, when I was a teenager. Jesus, last night when I couldn't find food. I'd have this whole story prepared. Did they need that story, church? In fact, Jesus asked them the question, and all they needed to say were two of the most powerful words you can possibly conjure up. Yes wasn't their question. I don't even know if this is what they were there for. Maybe they're there for their sins. Maybe they're there for food. Maybe they're there for something else. Have mercy is probably what they said to lots of people. Give me something. Sight? Yes, Lord. Church, get a hold of this. If you can learn to say yes, Lord, from this day forward, no matter what happens, no matter what you see, no matter what you fear, I guarantee you grace will abound in your life. Are you with me, church? But it requires you to ask. You see, we wake up and expect God to pour grace and mercy all over us. The judge requires me to go to court and ask for it. Jesus is no different. He requires you to say, son of David, have mercy on us. And then say, yes, Lord. And there was no ceremony here. This is, it blows my mind. No ceremony, no celebration. These men went a lifetime without seeing and instantly they were able to see. It doesn't say they, year, they yelled, they cheered, they went hallelujah. It says nothing. All throughout the Bible, I'm fascinated with this. All of these miracles, and rarely do you ever see the human side of the human being going crazy about how awesome it was. You know, and I wonder, why is it that way? Well, I guess there's a lot of really important things he wants to say about God, and I guess he imagines we can uh, fill in the blanks of the human side, amen? But if you give me a minute here, I'd appreciate it. I want to bring the human side a little more to life for a second. I don't think we appreciate his mercy and grace as much as we say we do. So I have a video here. It's very short. It's about people who are blind today. Today, legally blind. Not blind as in can't see anything. Blind as in colorblind. They've never seen a color their entire life. They got these special glasses that are a miracle to them. They put the glasses on and all of a sudden, they see color. Never seen colors his entire life. Oh my no green, God. no blue, no red. 
You see, the Bible does not need to get these details into your mind because the everyday world will allow you to see these details in your experiences. These people have never been able to see, and now they can. You have a glimpse on what it feels like to be able to see, church. And let me sink one on you a little deeper. You have the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, his grace and mercy up in you. You have the colored glasses on every day that sees the world how it is. You have something that God has given you today, and I and he expect you to be using it every day you walk this planet. You can see the color of Lord Jesus Christ. I imagine that's how these people were. The craziest thing happened, the moment these guys see, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And then the next verse, Lily says, they went and told everybody. There's a few more minutes here, church, and I was planning on ending here, but I have some things I want to share with you. Can I do it? Look, if you have to leave, it's okay. It's not going to offend me because I like hearing myself talk. You see, so what I did is I went back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I knew about this story. I knew that this story was elsewhere, and I wanted to take a look at it. I wanted to see why is the story repeated. A lot of times things are repeated because they're important. You don't want to miss it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, story is repeated. In fact, it's repeated twice in Matthew. It's repeated once in Luke and once in Mark. And so in your Bible, if you look at it, if you have one, um, if you're not using a digital Bible, it may say copied here, there, repeat here, there. If you have a commentary, it may say something like, this story is repeated in the other Gospels because it's important. Or it may say something like, this story has a few differences from the other stories, but really they're the same story. Over and over again, you hear this in the Gospels, these stories that are repeated that are all just the same story, as if Jesus only came into contact with a few people. Do you know Jesus came into contact with thousands and thousands and thousands of people? And it actually drives me crazy that some of these commentaries and some of these Bibles do such an injustice to the Word of God. I'm not saying I'm the greatest commentary or theologian. I'm not. I'm not as studied as most of these people. But I don't think it takes a real student to read the Bible and look at the obvious differences. For example, in Matthew, this was in chapter 9, and in chapter 20 is much later in time. Clearly different stories. In Mark... There's another story, and Luke does another story, and quickly, if you take a look at it, you realize, wait a minute, Matthew chapter 9, it says he's in his hometown, he just crossed the sea and did the legions, that's Capernaum. In the other stories, it says he's in Jericho. Well, clearly, that's not the same story. Oh, well, the disciples got confused. Where they? No, they didn't get confused. These are different people, complete from different times. Jericho, you know how far it is from Capernaum? I looked it up. It's like 131 kilometers or something. I don't know, Chris. It's like 70 miles. It's really, really far. Took him like days and days and days to get there. Completely different people. So why would he repeat a similar story twice? I want to read it to you. It's so simple. It's in Luke chapter 18. And it says, as Jesus approached Jericho, Different story, he's in Jericho. A blind beggar was sitting on the road, and when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what is happening. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was going by, so he began shouting. Guess what he began shouting? Take a guess. Now, why do you think he's shouting the same thing? You don't think news got around from the blind people? You don't think one blind person told another blind person told another blind person that when Jesus comes around, here's what you do? The formula's pretty easy. You go to church, you wait till Jesus comes in, you say, son of David, have mercy on me. He then's going to walk away. You then follow him. He's going to go in the house. You then go in the house. He's going to ask if you want to see, and you say, yep. You don't think this guy knew that story? This took like four months to get there. The story got around faster than Jesus did, I guarantee you. 
So let's see what happens. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Eh, you know what? I'll put it on the screen. And look what they said next. Be quiet, the people in front of him yelled. Be quiet. This one, what they said would happen. Jesus was supposed to walk away. All I had to do was follow him. Now being pushed to the side and hushed up. What do we do now? Well, there's only one guy, not two. This guy's got some boldness in him. It says, oh, I have it on the screen there. But he only shouted louder. My kind of guy. He only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the, men be brought, that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what did Jesus say? So you think you know what he says because of the previous story. But I want to talk about this for real quick. What voices are you listening to, church? What voices are in your life? What voices do you hear today? Are you just listening to what's on the news feeds? Are you just listening to what's on Facebook? Are you just listening to what all of your friends are saying and how worried you need to be? I'm not just talking about the community. I'm not just talking about your health. I'm talking about your spiritual walk. I'm talking about everything. I talk to countless people in this church throughout the week through test messaging and phone. And almost every time somebody's saying, well, somebody else says this. Somebody else is telling me that. This is discouraging. This is Are you listening to them? Are they telling you to be quiet and not see the grace and mercy of God? Or are you pushing through? Church, what verses, voices are you listening to? Well, the next thing, after he says, be quiet, Jesus says, come closer. And Jesus says, as the man came near, Jesus says, what? You want to see, right? He does not say that. Look what he says. What do you want me to do for you? This is the question I ask you today, church. You've heard the story of Jesus Christ so many times. You've seen all the miracles in his Bible. You've heard me preach a thousand times. Uh, it's actually been 356 times. You've heard me preach. I'm asking you today, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Huh? Really? Do you have an idea? Did you come to church this morning just guessing? Did you wake up this morning and say, I need Jesus to do something? By the way, if there's not something you need him to do in your life, pick something from somebody else's life. Amen? Of course you know what he would say. Lord, you've just healed all these other blind men. I want you to hear me. I want to see. Verse 41. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. He could have asked for forgiveness. He could have asked for a million things, but he wanted to test his faith in that moment. Standing before God, are you willing to share exactly what you feel with by your God? Are you? This was by example. They learned. They followed it. And this was harder. You know, the Bible says this. I, this is why I have to share this with you. The Bible says this. To, much is to whom much is given, much is required. Church, you've heard a thousand sermons, a thousand miracles. If you're the first miracle, it may be easy where Jesus, Jesus then just says, do you want to see? And you say, yes, Lord. But as you keep praying and as you keep doing some things and as you keep hearing what's going on in the world, you may want to experience the same thing others are experiencing. The second, the third time, much has been given to you, much more will be required. Jesus may ask you today, tell me what you want me to do. And you must say to him exactly what you want. Life and death is in the power of the... Amen? Are you with me, church? Are you following what I'm saying, church? The story is repeated again and again in Scripture. This one was obvious. It says they were approaching Jericho. If I go back to Matthew 9 and I go to Matthew chapter 20, an interesting thing happens. It says he goes to Jericho, and then it says he was leaving Jericho. Now there's a third story. 
It's almost repeated identical to this story, except for something. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. It says, Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly, they could see and they followed him. You see, if you just think all these stories are the same and you ignore the details, you miss out on what God is trying to tell us. Why doesn't God just heal everybody in the world all at once? Because he's trying to give glory to who he is. He's trying to explain the divinity of Jesus Christ. And we say, well, if we already know who Jesus Christ is, maybe he won't heal me. That is a lie from the pits of hell. The first time Jesus said, I'll let you see, now you know I'm God. The second time he said, let me test your faith. Do you know what you want? I want to see. The third time he could have said, you guys already know I'm Jesus. You already know what I'm here to do. I'm leaving Jericho. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross. I got no more to prove. But you know what? He looked in front and saw a human being and he had compassion for them. The Bible says he felt sorry for them, not just for salvation. He wasn't just doing it for his soul. He was doing it for him, the human being that was standing in front of them. He wanted him to see. And so he allowed him to see. What am I trying to say? Here's the crux of mercy that I try to get in one sentence and I wish I could do it, but this is the best I can do. God, God chose to spare us because he refused to spare Jesus. Jesus Christ was not spared on the cross and because he went to the cross and God refused to spare him, God spares us and he has compassion for you and for me. We just need to ask. Are you with me, church? I have uh, one last thought for you. I encourage you to pray for mercy. If you are dealing with something that's been taking a long time and you believe that you have experienced the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you believe that God can have his will in your life, I encourage you to pray for mercy in your life and in others. And then ask him very simply what you want. Now, I went back and I looked. I looked at these words, mercy in the Old Testament. And I asked you, does God have mercy? The irony of this question is, no. What do you mean God doesn't have mercy? He just told me all these stories about God have mercy. It's part of the problem with translations and languages. That's why I love the internet. You can research all this stuff so simply. You go back into the Bible, you look everywhere, there's a word for what we do that we call wrong. It's called sin. And it's always singular. It's your sin. Chris, you have lots of sins, but he doesn't call it your sins. He calls it your sin. Because he doesn't care one sin from the other sin. It's all sin. It's all the same. Whatever you've done, little or big, it's still a sin. It's one sin. In fact, the only time he uses the word sin in plural term is when he's talking about our sin, multiple people. Sin is a singular word. Mercy. Mercy. Go back and look. Only in the King James can you see it, but go back and you can read the original Greek and you'll find out that mercy is a plural word. It's a word like you. It doesn't just mean you, Joe. It means like you, like all of you. It actually should be translated mercies. David, in the Bible, have mercy. He's mercies. Daniel, when he's praying for the town, have mercies. It's not translated that way because it's not good English. 
Why in the world would God have mercy in the plural? Do you know why, church? Because he has infinite mercy for all of your singular sin. It doesn't matter what you've done today. It doesn't matter what you think today. It doesn't matter where you've been today. He has mercy to cover it. His mercy is endless. His mercy is infinite. And when you come up with something new to do, he's going to come up with more mercy for you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of like a GPS, church. You have a route, and there's a distance between you and God. That distance has been created because of sin. And that distance is the same. It's very large. And you set upon a route to get to Jesus. You set around a route to go around the mountain, to get up the mountain, through the mountain, to get up to Jesus. And sometimes in our life we fail. I tell you today, church, that there is another mercy, another route. Plenty of routes to take, plenty of mercies for you to have. What I'm saying today, church, what I need you to understand today is if your prayers haven't been answered today, his mercy is waiting for you. And after his mercy comes his grace. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.